Welcome to the Kinky Cast, a sexually explicit podcast for adults. You are listening to a weekly publication, produced every Friday morning. This is our weekly exploration in the kinky world of BDSM and alternative relationships. Today, we present episode 425C, Cleo Dubois, West Coast Femdom and Educator. Don't forget to stop by our webpage for information about this show and others. KinkyCast.com. Here's your hosts, Woody and the Beast. Thanks, Max, and welcome back to another edition of the Kinky Cast. Uh, sitting across the desk is the Beast. What do you know, Beast? Hey, Woody. This week, we are fortunate to have one of the great and I will say legendary educators and moving forces in our community. With us, we have Cleo Dubois. She describes herself, and I think this is a, a wonderful description, BDSM coach, ritualist, and personal trainer in the kinky arts. Hello, Cleo. Welcome. Hello. I am glad to be here. And I'm here where it's uh, actually sunny and wonderful in the heart of Silicon Valley, and actually too dry, so maybe you could send us a little rain. Well, yes, we did hear California's running a little dry right now, and, and we'll be glad to send you plenty of water. I'm sure Texas would, too. Yes, anyway, yeah, it's uh, now you know the right thing to do is to have, not have your grass anymore, because there's not enough water for having a lawn. So we are in a bit of a drought indeed. But uh, we're not in a drought in terms of BDSM. There's plenty of BDSM going on. Isn't that the truth? BDSM is a bloom now. <laughs> Post Fifty Shades and and all this national media exposure we're getting, it's really mushroomed a lot in the last few years. But you're not a newcomer to this, are you? No, I am not. How far back does it go? How far do you want to say it goes back? Let's put it like that. No, I'm public about how far it goes. Okay, I came out into the scene in 1981, and I can tell you how that happened. In 1981, I had a lover who invited me to go to a workshop, which was uh, offered by Cats and Love, who was one of the writers in the underground press, pre-spectator in the Berkeley Barb, and then the spectator. And I went to the workshop, and I went with him, and the light went up in my head, and I went, oh, wow, that's what I want. And the workshop was kept doing a live presentation with her husband-slash-slave mouse. That's all I needed. And the reason why I went, wow, is because I immediately saw that those activities raise a lot of energy, a lot of trust, and were totally based on consensuality and actually informed consent and consensuality. And that's what I was looking for without really knowing it. So I don't come from having kinky fantasies. I don't come from wanting to be, you know, the mistress of the universe or being a slave or any of that. I came from, wow, energy and consent. That works for me in erotic um, setting and in sexuality. So immediately as soon as I came out as... uh, Mistress Cat said, there's a Chinese society where you can get some education. I volunteered for everything in Janice that I could volunteer for. Actually, as a bottom, I was willing to uh, fit in um, for demonstration of all kinds. I met some amazing people at the Society of Janice, which actually 
put me in their Hall of Fame last uh, last October. So I'm now inducted in the Hall of Fame. Of Congratulations the for that. Congratulations, yes. Oh, thank you. Along with me, you know, a lot of my friends, including uh, Sybil Holiday and Gary Baldwin, and my life was never the same again. So that's how it started for me. Back in our episode 35, we were interviewing Sybil Holiday, and that's when your name came up uh, the first time as uh, getting in the scene together and working together or, or sharing spaces. Can you tell us a little how, how that worked? Actually, at first, Sybil was very unhappy with my coming out into S&M because she, too, at the time, in 1981, didn't know that it was very different, actually pretty much opposite to violence. And she and I, being both pretty dominant in our way and on the edge of domineering when we can and arguing for what we believe in, we used to ruffle each other's feather quite a bit. And actually, yes, I was a roommate at the time. And when I came out in uh, at the Janice Society, within a few months, she saw changes in me. And that uh, is also a story she shared publicly. And that had her reconsider. And after a few months, maybe six months, maybe a little bit more, she too uh, started opening her own door to a kink and what we call S&M at the time. The anagram BDSM was not created yet. And... Uh, pretty soon, and she joined the Janice Society, and she fully embraced the SM Pass as well. And pretty soon I had to move out, so I chose to move out. Actually, I moved out across the street from where I lived with her, uh, so that we could liberate my bedroom to create a dungeon. And we created our dungeon together. Uh, she had a softer room because she was way interested in... Uh, gender play and cross-dressing and mommy role and uh, none of these activity uh, really attracted me. What I really was attracted to was the S&M and the bondage and holding space and holding control and sharing energy in that. So we were completely compatible in terms of uh, working together. And she was also very interested in DS. And DS to me was not uh, my drive really either. So again, we were great. We we became even closest friend and really shared some wonderful years uh, together working as professional, which I stopped doing about 15 years ago. And for our listeners, because uh, we have listeners at all interest levels and all skill levels, uh, the difference in SM is is focused on the pain and the giving and receiving of pain for pleasure and ds is domination and submission more of the master slave mindset is do you agree with that except that i don't use the word pain i use the word intense sensation and yes i do agree with you and i just need picking the word because i tend to use the word pain for something that you don't want and you don't expect and receiving intense sensation with intent and knowing that you want it, either to please the top or because you're a, uh, you're a masochist, then I think of that currently. A lot of people refer to it as pain. But I really try to, to take the word pain out and look at it as intense sensation that you know can shift your uh, consciousness or shift your energy or turn you on or all the different things that sadomasochism does for people. I also attended a, a conference that you were at, and you were talking about sensory deprivation. 
Yeah, you know, since I stopped doing professional scene, I do very little sensory deprivation. But all of the sensory deprivation journey that I uh, took people on, or actually they went on under me, you know, holding space for them, you know, um, making sure they were safe. They were a gift for them. I really, in, in my life, I have the stuff that give me energy. And if a client come to me as couple, which is the kind of client that I have now only couple, that's all I want to work with. And they're both interested in knowing how to do sensory deprivation and or, or receiving sensory deprivation and teaching it to the top, then I would do that. But in terms of my own personal interest, I'm not really into it. But I certainly did it professionally and became very good at the solar energy that were running between me and the people who were seeking to go inside, to go inward for their own erotic fantasy or their own erotic journeys. I remember seeing a head box that you had at uh, this event. It really fascinated me. You could put it over a person's head and it's padded inside, takes away light, sound, any sensations that you would take in through your head. Exactly. And I still have it. (laughs) Ah, That was a wonderful box. A client gave it to me. You see, here is the work. Since I did professional dominance for 20 years, until I decided not to do it anymore, I learned an enormous amount from my clients because I didn't say no to anything until I tried it at least once. And the sensory deprivation was of interest to me to see how good I can get at it and what wonderful journey people would have and what they'd be willing to share about it. And the gentleman who built the headbox, it was his headbox, he built it and he actually even had a gag that went in. So not only that, he could also not speak. And the way that it came about is he used to do himself or to put himself in sensory depth and bondage by himself and also with his gags put in, uh, in, in his mouth. And I felt it was a little bit too much and unsafe. So I ended up trading him my work, my taking him on journeys for the headbox. And that's how I got the headbox. And it came along with a bonded chair, which uh, was also pretty incredibly amazing, which I also have, because I wanted him to be safe and not have an accident, because he was extremely into sensory deprivation and constriction, the use of corset as well, and all of these things. So that's how I got into that fabulous piece of equipment, which I still have. But for the garden variety sensory deprivation, what I prefer using now is those wonderful, wonderful light blindfold where you can have your eyes completely wide open and see absolutely nothing, just see darkness. And those are called mindful. Oh, yes. I I have a mindful. They're wonderful. I don't make any money on them, but I have (laughs) as many mindful as I need to teach. I actually have 18 mindful because that's uh, how many students I would take at most uh, in one time. And uh, they're very light and they're very, you know, you don't see anything and you can keep your eyes open in the dark. So that's the level of sensory depth I'm into now. Mm-hmm. But are people interested in that? Yes, taking off your sight, uh, you know what it does first? You have to trust the person, 100% that you are agreeing to be tied up in bondage and then, you know, take your sight. And you have to trust them, and then there's all of this thing. It increases your, uh, it increases how you feel for the sensation that you are receiving, 
and it changes your idea or your sense of time. So you can be in there for like 20 minutes and you think it's only two minutes. Uh, for some people, it changes the time differently according to how you respond. So it's, uh, it's a very interesting journey that people can get in, but again, only with trust because it involves um, usually sensory depth also goes with like body bags and, you know, all kind of restraints so that you completely surrender. And that is what attracted me in doing that for my client was the fact that they really wanted to surrender and that was the way that they could, that they could really go in and go into a trance space. So I was interested in providing that experience for them. So important to have the trust, as you mentioned, that doing it by yourself is very dangerous. You could have any kind of thing uh, where you could choke on your own saliva with a gag in and have no way to get help. So you really need somebody that you trust in the room to do that. And, and the way you offer the service is a very good thing. And that is exactly why I have the head box, mm-hmm. <laughs> because I don't want that guy to become, you know, uh, to kill himself by mistake. You know? <laughs> That was not my idea of good SM publicity. Protecting the community is an important part, and and you were active in Janus, and uh, you certainly a a figure in the Bay Area and internationally from there. And and so you're holding a torch for people to follow, and especially new people coming in. Uh, So you're offering services right now for couples that are looking for their first exploration. Yes. Uh, this is what I do. I also teach for various groups. So, for instance, I teach for a group in Utah. I just was honored by holding an entire weekend for them and bringing uh, different exercises that I've developed within a, a group of people. There's well, 14 people in that group. I also teach for a, a new sex-positive movement that um, started in the Bay Area called One Taste, I taught for them in 2007, and I'm now teaching again for them. Entire weekend long, and those are people that are not kink, uh, kinkster, they don't call themselves kinkster, but they're open to exploration, they're open to see what different exploration bring to them in terms of facing their fear, in terms of increasing intimacy with partners. So what I bring to them is not necessarily just uh, because they want to follow up on that path, but it is a, a they have to reframe how they think about it. I just did that. I just, for instance, I led a, a flogging workshop for all of these people, you know, taught them how to use a flogger in a way that doesn't wrap around, made sure they were playing with a number of scales so that they knew where the bottom or the receiver was. There was also uh, play piercing, which were done in a ritual way. So really a lot of the work I do beside mentoring people is bringing back a sense of ritual into people erotic exploration. And I use the word erotic now that you don't use the word sexual in purpose because not, some of this does become sexual, but it doesn't necessarily become sexual. And of course, you know, knowing that I have been married with Fakir for 25 years, of course my interest in ritual has grown and has been refined by um, being his partner and, you know, running a lot of, you know, 
which would like to shift people's consciousness, so make them look at themselves in a bigger way. So that's, you know, the work of SM and then the work of ritual. It's kind of, you know, one flew into the other for me. That is something I did want to ask you about was rituals, because the release of the person that uh, is being concentrated on is amazing, especially if it's a large group where the energy is poured into that person. It can be extremely intense. All the energy is released by that person. It's either poured in or released. It depends how it works. What, it really, what I think it is, is uh, people going inside and looking and things they might have a judgment about kind of come up and they look at it a different way. Uh, maybe they go to catharsis. And then the space open for them inside, uh, learning about who they are, a, a acceptance of of what supposedly is taboo, which really shouldn't be taboo. It's only taboo because of the society we live in. I mean, if you're not injuring anybody, you're not damaging anybody, um, and the, what you do is consensual with whoever you do it, and you're an adult, why should that be taboo? The, the church and everything else that control people say it's taboo. But what does it have to be taboo? You're right. He's a social construct based on uh, often a religious or perceived moral position that is superior. And it's not taboo. It's, it's If it's done safely, sanely, consensually, it's a perfectly legitimate expression, in my opinion. And he's mine, too. So, yeah, we agree. I have noticed you are an educator. Yeah. That's your core is as an educator. I do. <laughs> but you know what? I'm also a learner. I also learn along the way. And and I'm not bored. It's it's truly amazing. And, you know, I mean, I just want to bring it back to that really how it started. And um, well, what really started for me is I'm a survivor of abuse. I'm a survivor of sexual abuse pretty uh, intense sexual abuse, won't give you the detail. I'm a survivor of violence in a family that was very dysfunctional. I'm a survivor of extremely uh, super right-wing thinking added to Christianity that my family was in, kind of like no tea party type of people in France. And when I let that behind, other door opened for me, and I really embraced uh, my sexuality, and I really embrace the path of pleasure, and I embraced it despite where I came from, where uh, where I've been violated, I being uh, told that uh, any kind of sex was not okay. I mean, you know, I'm in that generation where women were still looking for the right guy to get married, and and uh, and that was going to be it, and I chose a different path. Uh, and I didn't really know how it was going to unfold, but it unfolded with that workshop, uh, that boyfriend I had who who knew me better than I knew myself, and then it unfolded with my meeting Fakira Janice and getting turned on to a ritual and my association or my liking of gay men and having a lot of erotic our interaction with gay men in kink, kinky erotic interaction with gay men and bisexual men. And it also came out of losing so many people to AIDS that I was close to, that I considered to be my dear friend. 
and seeing how BDSM or SM or ritual could actually help in healing for all that loss of all of these young men that died when I was a young woman myself, and how we could use the body, our body, and get frog to say goodbye and release our shame and our pain and our helplessness, and all of this kind of flowed together, and I could see how it all connect, how it's all connected. So that's how my archetype of a healer and teacher and slut and all of this became just me at the quote-unquote mature certain age that I'm at right now. I'm looking at a line from your website, and you are careful that BDSM is not therapy. That's correct. But you are a strong proponent for its healing properties and the way it can bring people closer together with themselves and with their partners. Has this been something developed over the years? How did this come about, this attitude? Actually, you know, that's what I was trying to say like a couple of minutes earlier, but that didn't go through as clearly, so let me say it again. Because when I, I came out in 1981, by 1984 or 5, a lot of people were dying. And those were the men I was playing with. I did like to bottom to gay men. It didn't mean that I had to have sex with them, but I like to bottom with them the way that they were with me, the gay little men who are my friends, the ones that survive are still my friend, people like Mark Thompson and people that I, you know, I river that guy Baldwin all of these people uh, survived but a lot of people died and as people died who actually were my mentor I saw the link between using the SM that we were doing to let go to release some of the pain that I felt some of the loss that I felt some of the grief that I felt that's where I first saw that and also the healing of myself through ecstatic moment, like I really got fisted for the first time with a man that was really not heterosexual at all, because at the time I didn't play with heterosexual men. And um, when I got fisted uh, by him, I saw a bigger version of me. I got flooded with uh, archetype of healing and, you know, spirituality. It all, it was like I was in an ecstatic spiritual space as I had a fist uh, in my vagina. And the person that was doing it was doing it full of love for me, full of respect. So that's how I found this connection, by experiencing them. And that is so interesting because the act of fisting can be either a very trusting, caring interaction, or it can be one of violence. And uh, depends I am on, sorry. It never will be one of violence. It should never be. It should never be, but it can be for some people. This healing path that you've been on is uh, started in the very beginning of your exploration of BDSM. Absolutely. Not very beginning, but let's say a year into it. But, you know, I never heard of anybody getting fisted uh, as an act of violence in my community. If you say that, have you? I've seen some people online talking about it from, from a different perspective. It's whenever I am a live and 
let live sort. But I don't think violence has a place in the BDSM community. But I do see it coming out in this new mushrooming culture that we're coming with, with so many younger people and so and a broader acceptance. I see some confusion. It'll take some time for this confusion to uh, moderate, I think, and and the new order to get into effect. I certainly hope so. You know, there will always be people that use the dark side in a in a violent fashion. But that certainly is not uh, what I <laughs> what I want or what I teach. I do my very best to stay on the light healing side of our enjoyment, fetishism, and practices. And I will quote you from your own website, dispelling false notions about dominance, submissions, fetishes, pain, pleasure, continues to be your work. That's from Mm -hmm. your website. This journey of yours has taken you many, many places. I see mention of uh, body rituals in Malaysia, various schools of rope bondage. Tell us about some of those journeys that you have been on and things you have learned over the past few decades. What did I learn? I learned that everything is energy. You either raise energy or you dump energy or you shut down energy. But as long as we are alive, everything is energy. And I learned to sense energy. And that happened to me when I was in Malaysia. And maybe I was granted to sense energy because I didn't really go after any sort of training. We went to Malaysia, Fakir and I, for the Thai Pusan Festival because he always wanted to see his practices that he brought back with the body piercing through uh, not being there, but through seeing him his National Geographic long time ago. So he wanted to see it live. So I said, I don't recall exactly which year we went to Malaysia. But we went together to uh, see what the energy was that the Tamil Hindu uh, people uh, did uh, when they did those piercing rituals. And uh, we were actually in Penang, and I was very irritated. I am French. I get easily irritated, by the way. I can be a little bit volatile, and so I screamed at you a few minutes ago. But uh, what happened is uh, it was too hot, and car buzzes and motorcycle buzz on the well, the other side of the street. And there was a temple there, and I was in a really foul mood. And Fakir said, let's go into that temple. And I said, oh, okay, we'll go. So I walk into the temple, and all of a sudden, everything shifted. Uh, I just felt completely electric from the top of my head to my feet. I felt uh, elated and extremely calm. And it turned out to be a Kali temple. So the energy of that female goddess or archetype, I prefer to use the word archetype, just took me. And I just uh, didn't think anything of it except, oh, wow. And later on, I thought about it, you know. She's uh, a revered female archetype, color of ignorance, color of time. And I consider myself working for her. So that doesn't mean I'm an Hindu. I'm not. It doesn't mean I follow Hindu philosophy or Hindu religion. I don't. But I recognize this archetype. So I do a lot of work in in the intensive that I do to help people find out what really resonates with them so that when they become either a top or a bottom, they have a sense of who they really are, that it's not playing a role. 
and that we all have many different archetypes. So teacher is only one of my archetypes. But when I bottom to my lover and I want to be, you know, a, a punky little slut, then that's a different archetype. So, which, by the way, I don't only top. I also bottom, but only privately. I don't uh, bottom in any sort of non-private way because, you know, it doesn't work for me. So only privately. Interesting energy is what I learned. And how you respect it, how you play with it, how you are not afraid of it, how you embrace it is what I do and what I want to continue doing in a ritual setting. So I look at every scene that I do pretty much as a ritual with a beginning, a middle, and an end, and also a pre-discussion about the kind of thing that we are going to explore, not a list. I never worked with list. And the kind of uh, thing we're going to explore and also, you know, knowing the hard limit of the person and then uh, entering into that space and seeing where it goes together, building the energy, you know, erotically, building it with intensity, building it with emotion, uh, with whatever it is that really happened, and teaching people to be sensitive to that and see how they can go on their own journey in kink and enjoy, you know, getting to know each other in a more intimate way because I think that's what kink brings, a certain kind of of intimacy because secrets are being spoken, are being out, and people can get closer to each other. We've been talking about spirituality here. One of the situations that we're often seeing in the BDSM world is where people that have been raised in a religious family their whole life are now finding the release of SM in their life, and they're conflicted by their past and their present. How would you address that? Because a lot of people have a guilt complex going on. Shame. Shame and guilt. How do you address that? Call it out. Why are you feeling so ashamed? Why is it? Uh, that's actually the work that I just did all weekend, calling out the shame and the guilt, giving you a really, uh, actually a real and simple example. When I was in Utah, there was a man, he must have been in his 50, and I was teaching, you know, Utah, I mean, they're pretty strong in their religion out there. And he had been uh, molested when he was like 12 years old by a man, and he liked it. He never told anybody ever that he liked it. And during part of some of the exercises and the play we were doing, he released that. He told the whole group in detail how he had been molested at 12 and how he liked it. And then he went to this huge sobbing, and then he felt free. It was just like, okay, no more shame about that. So... That's one example, you know, speaking your truth, seeing why all of these uh, things that we were, were put on us by religion, by church, believe me, I survived a lot of that. I was supposed to be a very good girl and only marry one guy, and I completely rejected that. But somehow I didn't feel guilty. But a lot of people do feel guilty about it. And they feel, what I think it is, shame. So it's just really the shame and say, hey, this stuff was put on you. It's not really true. It was put on you, and you held on to it because at the time you were not 
able to deal with it any other way. You are not able to say, no, stop, not true. That's the biggest problem, that people that are raised that, they've been conditioned. And organized religion is very good at, dare I say, brainwashing people into believing a certain set, whether it's in their soul that way or not. They're programmed. And then all of a sudden, when they find sexual freedom and sensual freedom and energy exchange, all of these things come rushing back into a, a common point, and they'll go back and forth on good girl, bad girl, or good guy, bad guy, and not know how to deal with it. But if they get into community, if they get the proper support, then they will be able to deal with it. So, you know, that reminding me of the cross-dressers, okay, that would do purging. You know, the man that likes to wear women's clothes, that would not tell their wife uh, that they like to wear women's clothes and be treated like, quote-unquote, slutty girls. They don't want to be transgender. They just want to wear women's clothes and be treated like slutty girl or penetrated, which they would use the term violated. That's changing. You know, this is actually shifting. But uh, some of these guys would be buying, like, tons of wonderful things and luxury and that, and they would hide it, and then they would purge it all. I threw it all away, or they will go to a, a dominant woman uh, that um, they, a professional that you know did session with them in secret, and we said, "Take all my stuff. I don't want it anymore. I'm never doing that again." And then you know, six years later, or months later, they come back. They start all over. Now, what if people had community? I mean, there is community to be found just about anywhere. What if they could find support in? supporting their needs. It supported what it is that's inside, that's erotic for them. Then things would shift, we hope, or we know they would shift. That's why people seek community. That's why there is all of this SM group and conferences and all these things. People seek support. People seek others that understand, that, you know, make them see that they're not the only one. Oh, that's why I have a real bitch about Fifty Shades of Grey. I mean, I was not going to spend any money seeing it. But $5 on Comcast, I said, <laughs> okay. So I just saw it. And it's like, come on, give me a break. This is so unreal. A man that would have that level of power and money, which we never get to know why he has it, for one thing, would probably want to bottom rather than top. Because he probably would really need or enjoy to get let go of control, which is, you know, what a lot of men with power like to do. And that would have been smarter. For a second thing, don't you think he would have gone to therapy and work on some of his issues that are never spoken about, so we don't know what they are? A sociopath. Would he be such an idiot to be asking a girl who supposedly is a virgin, sure, in Seattle at her age, a virgin, would he be saying on her list, is fisting on her list, would she know what fisting is? I mean, this is, it's full of aberration. The only part that's right about Fifty Shade is that he's aware of consent. That's it. And then he's aware of consent, and then he gets punished by it. Because at the end, when she gets get those six lashes or whatever the fuck that she consented, she said consented to, then it's off. The relationship is off. She do not want to see him again. So the whole thing is such a twisted mess, and the guy is such a bad actor, but it's opening some doors for people. So that's the good part about it. It's like it's opening some doors for people. Granted, they're slanted. They're not really big open doors. But 
it's opening some doors for people. But it behooves us in the community to provide some education and support and knowledge for these people to understand that it can be much healthier. Right. And more satisfying than what they're led to in this supposed romantic movie. Right. And, you know, and there is a lot of really absolutely super fabulous people. You know, I live in the Bay Area. I mean, you know, Dorothy Easton and Janet Hardy, those women are being seen out of for a long time. Janet's people as well. And they have written wonderful books. And those books are available. You know, the Topping Book and the Bottoming Book and the Radical Slut and, and all of, you know, and people like uh, Gary Baldwin had written book on DS and had, and Riz Bannon had written book on Bondage and, and Joseph Bean had written a book on flogging. And there is such a huge proportion of written material that is good, that is clean, that is published, that is easy to get online. Now you don't have to go to a bookstore. That really, there is help out there. Plus all the munchies and all the groups. And I really, really hope that people go for that. Another book I really value is Consensual Sadomasochism. How to Talk About It and Do It Safely by my friend Sibyl Holiday and William Ankin. Uh, the book uh, gives people a, an understanding of all of uh, the many variations, variant and psychology of fetishism and role play and tips on how to talk about those things, how to reveal your desire. And uh, it's just a great resource because, you know, we use a lot of language in the scene that people don't necessarily know. Um, so, you know, not everybody's a slave. You know, it could be a submissive, a pet, a masochist, a smart-ass masochist, a smart-ass submissive, <laughs> a switch, etc. So, and it also is written in a very um, intelligent uh, psychological fashion since uh, um, it is Sibyl who had so much experience and B. Lankin as a psychotherapist. So it's a great book. Well, Cleo, you are actually a movie producer and director, aren't you? Well, that would be kind of (laughs) pushing it a little bit. I made a film. You made a film? uh, Actually, I made two. And The Pen Game uh, was shown in many film festivals, actually in the U.S. and abroad, and it was shown in Europe, and I decided to be the only distributor, so I I have all of the copy. I printed an enormous amount of copies. I'm still selling them. And what truly amazed me and is absolute bliss is that out of these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, of a pain game and time me up video, which I do sell to my website, nobody has ever returned one, ever. And it's gone all over. It's gone all over Europe. It has not gone to Saudi Arabia <laughs> and very little in Africa. <laughs> but it's gone all over Europe, including Eastern Europe. It's used in some university because it shows a heart, the spirit and the heart connection of body, sex, and spirit in the film. The connection is so clear. I was so tuned in to the woman and the man who brought them to me 
that I let it seem that I was vulnerable. I ended, actually ended up crying at the end, and it was shot by some wonderful uh, uh, woman that was very good with the camera. Uh, it's real clean SM, so I was granted the privilege to make a beautiful film with having zero experience on how to do it. I had a very good crew and a very good connection with the people I played with. So that's what actually prompted me to keep on teaching, was once I made the movie and I got the feedback, because it showed at the LGBT Film Festival in different cities, including all the way to Paris, which is my quote-unquote hometown, which is not home anymore. So I was glad that's what I said, okay, so now my path is to teach. I made the movie in 2000, and that's when I shifted from professional dominant to BDSM matter and teacher. Well, let me just put in here the Village Forces review on this. A serious attempt to illustrate and analyze the deeper passions of SM play. The viewer is left in no doubt about the potential for achieving ecstasy through sustained, consensual SM play. I think that's pretty high praise. This is a movie I wasn't aware of, and I'm going to have to put it on my to-watch list now. I mean, I have to send you a copy. (laughs) (laughs) Remember, I'm the only distributor. (laughs) You're the only distributor. So this is this definitely sounds like a film that, that these emerging people would be wise to review to get a more realistic perspective of the SM play and, and interaction than what they may be getting through through the pop culture. Yeah, and he has an age one bit. The film has an age one bit. The only thing that has age about the film is I, at some point there's an interview in my office and I said, now this is the beginning of the internet age. And so that dates the film, that statement. But the rest has not age. So, and I have, you know, I still have a whole bunch of copies because I made an enormous amount. And, and uh, thank you for telling people about the pain game, followed by Tie Me Up. Then Tie Me Up came a year later. And the review on that from a very great source, the Institute for Advanced Study of Human Sexuality, says combines exquisite, unusual erotic energy with highly educational tips and rich production values. Now, for a novice filmmaker, you're getting some pretty good reviews here. I had a very good editor. He's actually a full-time master who lives in Arizona, uh, Master Bert. He, uh, he, I went to his house for one week, and we worked on editing the film together. And... Uh, um, you know, I community. I mean, you know, it was really funny. I wanted like spread that out to any sprinkle when I wanted to make the movie. I just called her up. I said, "What do I do?" She said, "Get a makeup artist." <laughs> so hey, great! I got a makeup artist, and then I asked somebody else, and they say, "Get a kinky woman who's really good with a camera and knows what she's doing," and that's how I got the woman who, run the, who was a DP for the film. So I was very, very, and also I was told to make a storyboard. So I made a storyboard. I mean, I was a good little student, and I made me so happy that the film, the film is of interest to people. And yes, indeed, I, it is a good product. And if it help anyone, uh, all they have to do is go to my website and fire me a little tiny bit of money. It's only twenty five dollar, I think, and now they get both movie for that price. Well, that's a very generous offer. <laughs> Thank you. 
Cleo, thank you for the wonderful information about so many different things that we hadn't really talked about before on the cast. And so how do people get in touch with you? I have two websites and one blog. So my website for people who might be interested in taking weekend intensive courses live in San Francisco in a very limited amount of students, only eight students at the time, is www.sm, like S like Sedo S like Sedo and M like Masochist, <laughs> R dash, the little line between, you know, the two words, arts, like artistic behavior, A-R-T-S dot com. So it's S-M dash arts dot com. There's a lot of stuff on there, including video clips, interview, uh, writing, all kind of thing on that website. And then my other website is www.cleodubois.com, cleodubois.com, C-L-E-O-D-U-B-O-I-S.com. That site is for mentoring and Skype call. I can set up Skype call with people, consultation, not a dominance for men who are seeking mistresses. As I said, I stopped doing that. But couple work, working with couples who are coming into the scene and want to get better, get more confidence, either as a top or a bottom. I have a beautiful little dungeon, and I am in the peninsula, which is the heart of Silicon Valley, in actually the Palo Alto area. So that website is for that. And I have a blog, and the blog I don't write all the time, but there is a lot of story in there that are all true stories. It's called Cléo Dubois, 30 Years of Real Story. And the blog is www.cleodubois.wordpress, W-O-R-D-P-R-E-S-S.com. And those are the way that you can get to know me is really through the blog because I write from my heart and my truth. Cleo, you've been wonderful. Thank you for everything you've brought to us tonight. And we hope that anybody looking to explore BDSM that is a little on the fence can uh, get a truly experienced look from you. And thank you very much for having me. It has been a real pleasure to speak with you. So, And thank you for doing the, that podcast. You have some wonderful people on there, and I started listening to some of the interviews. So thank you very much for your work as well. You have been listening to the Kinky Cast. For more information about this show, go to kinkycast.com. Views expressed are not representative of the management of the Kinky Cast, and we welcome guests with opposing viewpoints. The Kinky Cast is a production of Rooster in the Round. On behalf of all our Kinky crew, I'm Max.